0: The Huntley Baptist Church Podcast We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today Please feel free to contact us at nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com Good morning I hope everybody is well You will look well so. Right, last week we started the story of Samson What a story Uh, In Judges chapter 13, so today we're looking, oh sorry, we looked at Samson's miraculous beginnings, his attitude towards his high calling, and the role that the Philistines played in both his life and the life of Israel as a nation. At the end, I asked a question about the potential Philistines in our own lives, sin that's never been fully dealt with, maybe even motivations that might not be entirely God-honoring. I truly hope it wasn't only me that pondered these things. Psalm one hundred and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's so important to realize our humble status before the God Almighty because I believe it increases our desire to cling to the salvation that we find in Christ Jesus. So I just wanted to Just wanted to put that out there, a bit of a reminder of what we covered last week. Today is part two, and I want to talk about some of the practical applications that the story of Samson can teach us. Uh, When we last left Samson, he was sitting on a rock in a place called Edom, and he had just lost his wife-to-be. He'd killed a whole bunch of Philistines as a result, and now had 3,000 Israelites from the tribe of Judah visit him to voice their disapproval of his actions. So we're going to pick it up from there. I'm going to be reading from Judges chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. If I could please have that slide. Thank you, Samuel. Hopefully there's not too many words on there, Samuel. I tried to take your advice from last week. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me, That you will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand, but surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. As was highlighted last week, this seemed like a great shame. Samson was prophesied to begin the freedom of the people of Israel from the Philistines but his people seem perfectly contented to just tie him up and hand him over to the enemy. In this exchange, we also get a glimpse of that ever-present red thread that's woven through the Old Testament. You see, Jesus also was forsaken by his own people. The Jews then also didn't want to upset the system either. They handed over their Savior, their Messiah, to the Romans for a horrible death. So Samson's tied up. Delivered to the Philistines. And we read about what happens next in verses 14 to 16. If I could have slide two, please. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosened from his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put it forth in his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. One commentator wrote when I was reading through, Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) So I thought I'd include it. Once again, we're having Samson live up to being Samson. He's disregarding his Nazarite requirements. He's touching a dead body. And as some other commentators notice, the choice of weapon is ridiculous. It's the jawbone of a donkey. It only serves as a reminder that his strength truly comes from the Lord. Samson then calls out to the Lord in verse 18. If I could have the next side, please. And he was sore athirst thirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? This got me thinking how easy it is for us to congratulate ourselves when it comes time for acknowledgement. Just before, Samson was saying, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. But then as soon as trials and tribulations come, we soon realize our frailty and call out to the Lord for help. Samson was all too quick to comment on the fact that he'd killed the thousand men. But when he's dying of thirst, suddenly he's giving God the glory for the victory. But the Lord remains faithful to Samson. Despite his blunt request, the Lord provides a miraculous spring of water to pop up and quench Samson's thirst, reviving his spirit. Reading this reminds me of the exchange between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, where he tells her in John 14, 4, John 4:14, 4, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life, everlasting life, sorry. The Lord's always been into reviving people, physically and most importantly, spiritually. Samson goes on to call this place En-Hakor, meaning the fountain of him who called or prayed. And chapter 15 ends with verse 20. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So this leads us into chapter 16, which I've titled, The Final Countdown. Verse 1 reads, Then Samson went to Gaza, and saw there a harlot, and went into her. So we see that Samson's once again back to his old tricks. He's in Gaza, which is one of the five main Philistine cities at that time. His wandering eye is back in action, and he's gone into the house of a prostitute. And it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither, and they encompassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. These Philistines just don't give up. (laughs) No matter how many times Samson deals to them, they persist, they plot, they scheme, and they wait. If I could have the next slide, please. 16, verse 3. It reads, And Samson lay until midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders, and carried them up unto the top of a hill that is before Hebron. Now I think it's worth mentioning that the gates of the city were an important place. The elders or leaders of the community gathered there, that's where all the public announcements were made. That's where court was held. Some commentators make the claim that once a city was conquered, that a city was conquered once its gate was taken. So, once again, we've got God moving powerfully in the life of a man, despite his imperfections and despite his poor choices. God is keeping his promise to you, Samson, to begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Here, I think, is a clear example. The Philistines' position has been weakened. One of their main cities is now missing a primary defense against attackers. It's wide open. So now we come to the climax of the Samson story, his infamous relationship with the Philistine Delilah. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Surik, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him. And see wherein his great strength lieth, by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee, every one of us, 1100 pieces of silver. So many of you know that I'm a quantity surveyor, which is basically a construction accountant. So my first thought was, how much money is that? (laughs) For For those that are interested... In the contractual specifics, (laughs) their offer is 1,100 pieces of silver per Philistine lord, which is about three years' wages. If we go back to Judges 3.3, we find out that there are five Philistine lords in total. So what they are essentially offering her is 15 years' worth of income, the technical term being heaps. (laughs) hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's money maybe even millions a lot of money the philistine lords didn't mince their words over what they wanted over why they wanted delilah to figure out the source of samson's strength it wasn't so they could throw him a surprise party or beat him in an arm wrestle it was personal they wanted to afflict him in fact it's actually the same language that's used to describe the israelites 400 year enslavement The Egyptians. Delilah knew the price; she knew the terms; she knew the desired outcome, and she agreed. The next series of events, uh, the next series of verses, detail her attempts to get Samson to tell her his secret. So it's found between verses 16, uh, 6 and 14 of chapter 16. Uh, Due to time, I'm I'm going to do my best to summarise it, Um, but you can follow along in your Bibles or on your phones. Now, I want to mention something important that's happening in all these attempts, and it's highlighted in verse 9. Now, there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. So basically, we've got Philistine warriors hiding, waiting in Delilah's room for the moment when Samson's secret would be revealed so they could pounce on him. Number one, first Samson says to Delilah that if he's tied up with greens which after a bit of research I found out that's like basically green plant cords, maybe similar to flax, that he will be weak and unable to escape. So she does this. But when she shouts, Samson, watch out, the Philistines are upon thee. He breaks the green plant ropes like a thread that touches the fire, the Bible says. Okay, so we go on to attempt number two. She tries again to get him to tell her. And this time he says that if he's tied up with new ropes brand new ropes, he'll be rendered weak like any other man. So she ties him up with new ropes. And of course, same thing happens. When she shouts that the Philistines are upon him, again, Samson breaks the ropes off his arms like their thread. Now Delilah, ever persistent, keeps trying. Remember, there's a lot of money on the line for her. So next, Samson tells her that if she braids his hair in a certain way, and attaches his hair to a timber beam in the room, he will be unable to escape. But when she calls out danger to him, he runs off and takes the beam with him. So obviously that didn't work either. Now I want to stop here and discuss some points that I think are important in this whole situation with Delilah. Because it relates back to the notion that we can learn from the struggles of Samson and the Israelites with the Philistines because I believe it's a close parallel or example of our own struggles with the devil and sin. For that, we need to ask some questions. Number one, when Samson was in Gaza with that prostitute, how did he know to escape at midnight? So given that the text makes no mention of him being informed of the plot to kill him, I put it to you that Samson was on high alert. He knew that the Philistines were after him, so he was able to escape. Now I realize that might be a bit of a leap. And whenever I look at a possible scenario that can't be backed up in that specific biblical text, I think, does this fit with the other things that we've been told in the Bible? So I looked for examples. We've got 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, which means be on the lookout, be watchful, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Or, what about Luke 21:36? Watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So, how does this compare with Samson when he's with Delilah? He's distracted, he's caught up in the flesh. There are Philistine warriors literally hiding in the very room that Samson and Delilah are in, but he doesn't even notice. His eyes are on Delilah. Remember when the Lord warned Cain in Genesis. He said that sin lieth at the door. In other words, it's so close. Watch out. Did Cain listen to that warning? No. He went and killed his brother Abel instead. If we're to escape from sin, we must first be aware of its presence in our lives. We must heed the words of Jesus We must be watchful and pray, ready to flee from it. Now secondly, what kind of enemies are the Philistines? I've written some words down here. Persistent, resourceful, willing to try anything, cunning, credit where credit is due to them. They came at Samson through his weakness, woman. What did we just read before in 1 Peter The devil is a roaring lion, always out to devour. devour. He will try anything to get to us. He will attack us through our weaknesses, through the open doors to sin in our lives. Does he want good things for us? No. He wants to afflict us, to have us in bondage, slaves to sin like the Israelites in Egypt. Now number three, is there any significance to the things that Samson gives Delilah to try? Now, notice how the suggestions from Samson start out ridiculous. I mean, the first one is green plant strings. Like, I could probably break those off. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> maybe after a few PT sessions with Tapu. But his next suggestion is more plausible. New, brand new ropes that haven't been touched or worn out. Okay, maybe that could work. But then we get close to the actual reason. He tells her that it's something to do with his hair. Yes, that wasn't the exact right thing. He first told her to braid it and not cut it, but it's close. Here's the thought. Temptation is a slippery slope. We might end up thinking that we're the ones in control. But sooner or later, we're going to end up getting closer and closer to the sin that's waiting for us. Crouching at the door. Like water circling a drain hole. Sooner or later, we're going to get sucked in if we keep playing games with it. When I first got saved and came back to my apartment in Europe, I uh, back to my from Europe to my apartment in Melbourne, I was on high spiritual alert. Some may recall from a previous sermon that I'd pray to the Lord when I was still in Europe and said, "Remove this temptation of doing drugs," because I know that when I get home, my flatmates and my friends, that's all they're going to want to do. And I'm, I'm scared that I'm going to be tempted and I'm going to slip. So my prayer was answered when my flatmates threw a big party while I was away, threw a massive pot plant off a balcony and got arrested. I know, right? And all the drugs that we'd ordered overseas got confiscated by the police. <laughs> so when I arrived back in Melbourne, there were no drugs. And my flatmate was so scared to get in trouble again in case he got deported. But I was so confident in my new relationship with Christ that even once I discovered that my flatmate was secretly smoking drugs in the house, I let him continue. And then I started accompanying him to bars around town where there was drinking. And I still remember the night clear as day in my head. It was late, we'd both been drinking, and he offered me a smoke of synthetic cannabis. Now within two weeks, I was smoking more than before I'd left. I even quit my job. So I could stay home and smoke and drink with him. Was I being watchful? Was I on guard against temptation and sin? No. My eyes and my heart were elsewhere. And it cost me my money, my job, and most importantly, it distracted me from my relationship with the Lord. So Samson also lost a lot through his decisions. We read about the outcome of the events with Delilah In Judges 16, chapter 16 to 17. And it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart, and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite until God, from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man." we'll probably know what happens next. Delilah waits until Samson is asleep on her lap and the Philistines come and shave his head. When Samson jumps up, to, jumps up to fight him, verse 20 describes that he didn't even know that the Lord had departed from him. When a Nazarite wanted to end his vow from the Lord, cutting his hair was the last act before he returned to a normal life. Samson had chosen who really had his heart and that was Delilah. Delilah. He had effectively shown the Lord that he wasn't committed to him anymore. In verse 20, one details the result of his poor decision. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. So Samson was blinded, they poked out his eyes and brought him back to the very city that he'd previously escaped from by ripping off the gates And he was shackled to a grinding wheel in the prison house. A pathetic state. Another question for us all. Is there any significance that it was his eyes that were taken from him? You may have noticed the verse on the front of the newsletter from last week was the following. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In my opinion that verse sums up the book of Judges. You see, the judges were supposed to act on behalf of God, Israel's true king, but often they just acted as they pleased. Who was the king of Samson's life? Samson. And what did Samson do? Whatever Samson wanted to do. <laughs> exactly, exactly what he wanted to do and whatever pleased his eyes. So after I'd quit my job, and slid back into daily drug use and drinking, my flatmate and I decided that it would be a great idea to take a one-way trip to Thailand. The accommodation was supposedly cheap, and the beer even cheaper. So that's pretty much two things that we were concerned about. So we bought tickets, sold belongings, left our keys in our apartment, we didn't even uh, tell our landlord that we were leaving, locked the door behind us, and headed to the airport in a hired moving van. We were running late, so I jumped out of the van to go check us in, and as I ran to the terminal, I heard a huge crashing sound behind me. My flatmate had driven the moving van into a late model BMW. So long story short, we missed our flight, and the company we hired the van off immediately, I mean within like an hour, took $2,500 excess out of my account, and we had to go back to the apartment which was locked. $180 later on a locksmith. That was one of the most horrible, discouraging days of my life. But when I look back, it was a blessing in disguise. After that, I had no money. So I borrowed money from my mum and moved back to New Zealand, away from the drugs and from the bad influences. Thailand actually also proceeded to have huge political riots and the company was in turmoil right after that. My flatmate and I would have been right in the middle of it. When I got back to New Zealand, I detoxed from drugs at my parents' house and walked into a small local church on a Sunday morning. We're having new pastors start next week, exclaimed the host. Their names are Murray and Jenny Henderson, and the rest you could say is history. The end of Samson's story is written in Judges 16, 23 to 31. Now, it's a bit of a a a read. I'm going to read it the whole way through. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles, and then we're going to have some closing thoughts. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to make a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may lean That I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon that roof about three thousand men and women that beheld Samson while he made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, O God, that I may be once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two pillars upon which the house stood, and on which is born, which was borne up, one with his right hand, and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords, and upon all the people that were there within so that the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And then his brethren and the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. So this false, yeah, first a comment on that picture, it was pretty much the only one that I could find where Samson looked like a halfway normal person. (laughs) everywhere else he's absolutely huge so yeah this false philistine god dagon was supposedly the god in charge of prosperity and deciding who would be king when people decide who's going to be king who do they choose themselves preferably (laughs) or at least someone that they best feel represents their interests someone who has their prosperity in mind Isn't that the culture that we live in today? Decide your own truth. Be what you want to be. Don't worry about what anybody else has to say and just do you. Those two pillars were what Samson's life was built on. His own prosperity and doing whatever he wanted. Being his own king. Samson destroying that temple of Dagon was exactly what God wanted him to do all along die to himself stop doing what was right in his own eyes stop thinking about his own selfish wants stop being his own king it was the same message to Israel the whole book of judges and what was the outcome of this choice to die to himself in that act samson killed more philistines in that one act there than he did his whole life And more importantly, he took out all the leaders of the Philistines, meaning Israel could finally start to be free. It took him dying to finally fulfill his calling. But don't just take my word for it. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 and 24, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life Shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. If we want to get busy living for God, then we best get busy dying to this life. And sometimes God will take the very things from us that are holding us back, like Samson's eyes. Sometimes we face horrible situations and we wonder where God is, but He is always there, working through the chaos providing hope, a way of escape, and the ultimate plan for redemption. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says God had already put in place the sacrifice of Jesus for our redemption, the payment of our sins. So in closing, Samson sacrificed himself for the good of his people, and Jesus did exactly the same thing. He gave his life so that we could finally be free, free of sin, free from death. This life has nothing for us. This world has nothing for us. It only wants to afflict us and make us its slave. It will take everything good from us if it can. Like Samson and Delilah, it will always be a one-way relationship. We can love sin, but it will never love us back. True prosperity, true love, and true life are only found in being a servant of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness, for always choosing to redeem us rather than abandon us. We ask that you'd help us die to ourselves, to worry about the prosperity of those around us more than our own, to surrender to your leading in our lives, to put you in your rightful place on the throne of our hearts. Almighty God, if there's anyone here that you are calling to give their lives to Jesus for the first time, or maybe recommit their lives to Jesus, Please may your Holy Spirit give them the boldness and courage to approach one of the leaders at the front after this prayer. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.